There's lots of questions. <laughs> so let's let's see what we get to, and, and maybe even some people want to ask. Uh, <coughs> so we probably won't get to everything. And I'm also mindful. Um, Stu asked a question halfway through uh, when I was giving the instructions the other day, and I don't feel that I really answered it because I left some out. So I, I want to actually get to that. Um, <coughs> Something Since then, it's like that part of my mind. I can't go to, it's like, almost like, if I go to not me, not mine, that part of my mind's just... Is it made, it's kind of... So it just wants to think and think and think and, and work it out. Yeah. It's like, you know, yeah. if, I, if I give it any space at all, it's just totally off. Mm-hmm. thinks about it, what happens? Where does it go? What does that feel like? Yeah. 
it feels like a kind of burrowing in, it's like it's burrowing into the centre of my head and it's it's like I didn't realise it was I didn't realise it had to God, there was so much emotion mm. until I started talking. Yeah, yeah. I can just feel it's like Okay. When 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 it starts thinking and there's that borrowing, um, does it feel exciting, disturbing, confusing, agitating, all of those, freeing? Uh, you know, there's a part that feels free and there's a part that feels like really, you know, perhaps the words freaked out are mm-hmm. a bit too strong, okay. but it's like, yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, It's a, there's no problem here, you know. No. It's no problem. It's just a matter of ba- balancing. Yeah. That's all. It's just if we go back to the surfboard analogy, it's just okay. It's gone a little bit too conceptual with too much energy in the conceptual. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's the opposite for people, you know, in terms of they're practicing and there's there's a sort of anti-conceptuality and not allowing any any rumination of what's going on. Nothing means anything. It's all just like experience, and and it's uh, it, it's kind of flat in that way. So it can be out of balance in, in practice can be out of balance in many ways. Um, if if we do level two and three and what whatnot, we'll actually start bringing the conceptual in much more because wh- if you if you um, gather it right and use it well, actually thinking about this stuff in the right way really brings a lot of freedom. But but it, you have to learn how to do that kind of thing. Um, at the moment, probably. Uh, what I would say is is more meta, you know, more meta or more something that calms. So it's like feeling. I mean, there's two things. One is just not you, you feel it getting pulled into that place, and then just bring it back to something that's more calming, more meta, etc. The more meta there is, the easier it is. As I said right at the beginning, the meta acts like a cushion for for the emptiness practices, in the sense that you can. The more meta there is, the more we can just kind of let go into that emptiness and what it means, and it feels rather than freaky, it feels actually really just soft and, and freeing. There's a kind of dissolving which we're really okay with. So one, one, one thing for now might be just, just bringing it back and upping, upping the meta percentage and re- really just softening the whole experience. Um, a little more tricky perhaps though is sometimes something like this happens and, and it could be, you know, this time it's conceptual or whatever, other times it could be like anger or something coming up. And we tend, we tend to maybe get freaked out by it, but it may have something really wonderful in it. It's like uh, the, the, there's a lot of life energy in our conceptuality. In the Dharma world, oftentimes our conceptuality gets like poo-pooed and put down. It's all, it's all about just the body and the heart. And so we cut, cut our heads off. Um can it be about the totality of us? And it might be that in this some freeing up is coming into the whole conceptual realm and, and, and a lot of energy is going there. And although that can feel troubling, it's almost like sometimes it might be that you can give that a little space and actually enjoy that kind of um, opening there. That's a little more tricky to do. But it might be, I, I think it might be that there's some treasure in there as well as some, some difficult stuff with it. 
Does that make sense if I say it? Yeah, I, I, I mean completely. Okay. It feels on that, on, it's like on that level. But I guess it's a bit like, it's true, it's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, and, and so it's true. It's like that's you know. It's to me, it's so important in our life, whether we're meditators or not, that that we get um, what's the word? Shocked, shocked at certain points, exploded out of our our usual ways of of conceiving reality. Now, when that happens, it's it's often not a smooth ride, you know. And it's not that it should happen every day of our life, of course, but but periodically in our life, if that's not happening that there's something's not working, something's not alive. Um, but when that happens, it's often very agitating. It comes with a sense of excitement, but also a bit of crisis. So sometimes it might be that you can feel into the kind of excitement of it, yeah. if that makes sense, and just dwell more there than in the what you're calling freaked out. I mean, it's, it's, it's in the mix, you know. But it's, it's wonderful to be excited. And excited is an agitated state, but it's okay, it's good. And so sometimes you just let yourself have the excitement of that. Wow, God, it's amazing, you know. It's, you know, it's it's this sense of prison walls like being broken open, and it is like, whoa, what do I do now? And sometimes it brings like, whoa, you know, it's hard to. Um, good practice feels agitating at times, and at other times, just just the peace, just back to the matter and and calming it, you know. <laughs> a safe distance. <laughs> yes. What's that? <laughs> I didn't hear. What you said. <laughs> I actually didn't hear. <laughs> yeah. 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 Look, I mean, for me, there's no point doing this unless it's going to shift something. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Hold on, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> La- it's what I've wanted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Last, yeah. Last year, a bunch of people, a whole group of people came and they thought it was a study retreat. And, uh, you know, it was a problem. <laughs> um, yeah, it is what you wanted. And, and wh- when that happens, it's rocky. And a lot of opening can happen through the conceptuality. As I said, we tend to just dismiss that in the Dharma world, but it's, it's as powerful an opening as the heart and the body and, and all the rest of it. And, and the thing is just to integrate. So when you let yourself feel excited, you're also letting... As you said, you, you were surprised that the tears came up when you started talking about it. That's showing that the, the conceptuality is actually linked to the heart and the, and the body. It's not some you know, abstract professorship thing somewhere. It's actually, it means something. So when, when there's the, the conceptual meaning and it's touching, you okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's touching and you feel the excitement and you feel the tears and, and even sometimes I don't quite know what it means, but I feel it. That's the, the marrying uh, and it's going on and it's doing its work and it's fantastic and it's not always that easy. But so sometimes, like, just to repeat, sometimes just lean over into where it's simpler and easier, just simple meta. Really good, really good. And other times it's like, let yourself go into that thing, but kind of find the excitement and the sort of wow in it, and, and not so, you know, don't get too sucked into the freak, freaked outness of it. Yeah? It, it sounds wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, good. Um... A 
there's a lot. So I said, we may not get to all of it, but um, does anyone feel their question is urgent and needs answering today? Okay. So, do, I mean, of, of, of anyone who put a note in here, is there prioritized ones? Because we'll have more, at least one more question answer, at least one more. Mine is for the interview, really. Okay, yeah, I saw that, Sophie. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping there might be some questions there related to working with thoughts, because that's. Um, I, I actually haven't read them. Let me just see if I can classify and weave a, weave a pattern here. Um, okay, there's two about the energy, energy and energy body stuff. <coughs> okay, and then, then there's also Hannah's and someone else had a question about disidentifying with awareness. So that may or may not be... Um, Important for everyone. Um, so you're going to do this identifying with awareness. Could you do it before I go? <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah. Yeah. What time are you going? Uh, Half okay. past. Half past eleven. Half past. Oh yikes. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. Oh, I can go five minutes later. Okay. Well, let's let's maybe. Does, is that okay if I talk about that now? Yeah. <coughs> okay. So. Um, This is actually a huge subject, so I'll just um, give you a little bit. Um, so we talked about, uh, you know, one way of kind of, what could we say? Uh, flushing out clinging, flushing out identification, is dividing up reality, or our experience, into the five aggregates. And then kind of, these are all the possible places that identity could hide. I am my thoughts, or they're my thoughts, I am my body, or I am awareness, or whatever. So it's just a kind of semi-systematic way of kind of um, making sure that dis you disidentify with ev everywhere. <coughs> if, um, have you noticed, I don't know, that also identification is also a constructor of the self-sense? In other words, that what, as I said the other day, what self does is it, is it identifies with things, that's the activity of the self, but that identification builds the sense of self. Yeah? Just like clinging and aversion, identification is a subtle form of clinging and aversion, that will also build the self. So again, you get this, this uh, co-dependent arising. I, I wouldn't really attempt to disidentify with awareness un until there's that sense of really being able to kind of disidentify from almost everything else. In, in other words, hang out in a space where uh, one's disidentified with the body, there's not the me mind with the body, with the thoughts, with the emotions, with the um, intentions and that kind of thing. And th For most people that takes a long time, we're just building that up gradually. Uh, most people that takes really quite a while, and that's completely appropriate and fine. Uh, at a certain point, if you can rest in that kind of disidentification of, you know, a lot of the other stuff of mind and body, um, you might want to give it a shot. Because what happens 
if I'm disidentified with body and all the other movements of mind, like thought and emotion and intention and all that, that only leaves awareness as a place where identification can be. And so if you disidentify from awareness, there's actually not any identification with any of the places where identification could happen. In other words, all the five aggregates, that's it. The moment when there's no identification is actually a really powerful moment. The usual kind of all-day, all-night um, appropriation of identification, me, my, me, my, me, my, me, my. And then even if it's just for an instant, that doesn't happen. It's an instant of, of me mining not happening. And that's, that's uh, it's going to be pretty powerful. Um, <coughs> let me get back to that. So there's a number of ways you can do it. Um, the, the, the trick is, in a way, to start getting a sense of awareness, if that makes sense. So um, if you, it, what the Buddha does is divide awareness into six, six, six consciousnesses, one with each of the sense doors. So it's like there's a visual awareness, there's a hearing awareness, there's tasting, etc. Um, and that's, you'll probably find that some of the sense doors are easier than others to, to do it in. Um, I remember the, the first time it happened to me was, it like a lot of these things, it just happened by itself. It was just a quiet moment of mindfulness, um, having a cup of tea outside on the lawn at another retreat center, and um, very peaceful and just drinking the tea, and then it was just literally a moment, if I, if I remember, many years ago, it was literally a moment, and it felt like there was the tasting but of the tea, but, but no taster. It was just, there was, there was taste, there was consciousness of the tea, and it was like, wow. Um, and in a, in a way, the, um, the after effect came a little later, so, uh, but it was, if I remember, it was really just a moment. Um, so oftentimes with many of these things, like the first glimpse of any kind of disidentification, it will come not so much out of trying to make it happen, but just organically in, in the, in, as the practice unfolds, as we let go more and more, etc. So the, the, the trick is, A, playing with it, finding which sense doors work best for you. I find, for instance, hearing, to disidentify with the awareness via hearing is actually more difficult for me. I don't know why that is. Other people, it will be easier. Sight works much easier for me. Body works well, but, you know, everyone's going to be different with this. But the trick is to get a sense of the awareness. So, <clears throat> for instance, right now, we could try it with the visual sense. If you um, just find something to look at and just uh, look at that thing, whatever it is, um and you sustain your gaze on it. Now, obviously, there's an object to the perception, but the, the Buddha said you cannot separate perception from awareness, perception from consciousness. In other words, to be aware is to be aware of something. To be conscious is to be conscious of something. A better word for it is knowing. And that's actually what the, the Pali and the Sanskrit mean. Vijnana is, is a participle, means knowing. It's, so it's something we do. So in any moment of consciousness, there's something that's known, and there's the knowing. Yeah? Uh, but they go together, they're like two sides of the same coin. So if I look, or we, you look at something right now, and you just sustain your gaze on it, 
there's obviously the sense of the what we're perceiving, the perception. Here I'm looking at the bell. Um, the perception, that's obviously it's the visual sense there, that's the perception. But sometimes if you just sustain the awareness on it, you can kind of get a sense of the knowing of it. There is knowing happening of it. It's like, it's with the perception. It's, it's uh, mixed with it. So it's quite subtle, just to get that sense of... knowing it's the bell, the concept of the bell, or more knowing that you're seeing. Knowing that there's seeing going on. Yes, it does not have to be with a label of what you're looking at. No, that's something a little more gross than I'm talking about. Um, Any spatialness to it? Is it it just behind your eyes, or is it your whole body? um, It's... It's hard to say. I don't think it's really physical. Not, it's not. Spatial. It's not spatial or physical. It's more. It's more just getting a different angle on the experience. It's like, um, you'd probably have to hang out with us. I mean, I used to stay up when I was on retreat really late at night, just staring at plants. <laughs> and actually, it was amazing. And then sometimes you can, you can. Um, Look at something, and eventually, it's like you you begin to be aware of of the knowing. We get a sense of the knowing. It's like that there is knowing going on, and it's joined with the object somehow. Um, and then, then the next step is just to see that knowing is just happening. You just the same thing. You're just doing the not me, not mine on the knowing. It's like it's just happening in the universe. There's a moment of knowing. So another way you can do it is is with a very um, momentary sense. So it's like. Okay, listen to the rooks. So each sound is a knowing. It's a knowing. It's a moment of knowing. And and via the impermanence, you see them as kind of discreetly just arising and, and floating there, this, this moment of knowing. So actually, kind of, you're subtly labeling it as knowing. in a way it's a two-step process I mean it's not necessarily easy Um, and like a lot of things it it will take just having patience and hanging out with it and then maybe you get a little glimpse of something you can build on that but in a way way, the first step is getting the sense of the knowing that's kind of married to the object and the second step would be then unhooking that and seeing it's it's just happening it's just like there's just knowing in the universe there's a moment of knowing there's a moment of knowing um, it's simultaneous. Yeah, it's inter- yes. It's all knowing. In other words, if I replace the word awareness, see, there's a problem in English um, with words like awareness and consciousness because they're nouns, and so we tend to think of a thing called awareness or a thing called consciousness. There's also a problem meditatively because there, there's a lot of states that a meditator can get into, where it seems like one is in a thing even if it's not a very tangible thing called awareness or consciousness. Very, very helpful states, but they tend to reify awareness in, into a, you know, some kind of thing or space or whatever. Um, 
But if we replace it with the word knowing, then there has to be knowing with something known. You know, you can't... You understand? A verb has to have an object. It's like... Um, so there's there's a co-arising. And that ends up, m- much later in practice, also being very, very uh, important in terms of um, the, the much deeper levels of emptiness of puncturing the whole idea that awareness is a thing. Yeah. Um, have a sense of yourself in it. Well, what happens? The awareness. You, you get, it's kind of like a you-ness there. Yes, either a you-ness there or a mine-ness. Yes. It's mine. I'm doing that. Somehow, somehow this awareness, it's me that's aware. And we say, well, I'm aware. It's not you that's aware. It's me. And there's a sense of, you know, just uh, implicitly we have the sense of like, I'm aware. I'm the one who's aware. It's mine. As opposed to, as I said, it's just, it's just floating there. Just seeing it unhooked from that mine-ness. Um, that's the same with anything you're meditating on. So say you're just sitting in meditation and you're having thoughts, the, the you that's aware of having thoughts. Yeah, so that would be the sixth conscious, the mind consciousness, is, is aware of thoughts. Yeah, so that's another way you can break it down into the six. And it also starts de- deconstructing a little bit the concept of awareness. Um, <coughs> and then you see, yes, it's also this awareness of thoughts. It's just happening, it's mm-hmm. just happening. So that's one possibility. Um, There's actually a little bit... Does that even make sense, even if it's not possible now? Just one thing. If if the perception changes, does the knowing change? Yes, exactly. So, in other words, every... You cannot separate perception and knowing. Uh, What, as uh, Sariputra, the Buddha, says, what what we perceive, we're conscious of, what we're conscious of, we perceive. So, so they go together as two sides of the same coin, and they're in, in well in the conventional level they're inseparable until one completely transcends something. But um, so that that's actually quite helpful. So when I say when the perception changes, that awareness changes, and that helps break down the awareness to the sense of oh, the moment of awareness, a moment of awareness, a moment of awareness, and that that's a way of kind of just seeing oh these moments of awareness they're just happening. So it's a way of a way of uh, loosening it up. Yeah, um, a little bit of this relates to maybe coming out of this Stu's question um, the other day. <coughs> so, there's actually many ways of disidentifying with awareness. There's many ways of doing all these emptiness practices, and they start feeding on each other and reinforcing each other. And the more one does, the more it's like they start supercharging each other, turbocharging each other. So, for instance, when we were doing the, um, the relaxing the relationship, and say, begin to get a sense, the more I relax the relationship, the less I'm build, I'm constructing the self. And eventually, slowly, slowly, the coin drops. This self-sense is a constructed thing. Now that can get really, really deep uh, in that sense and into the emptiness of phenomena, etc. And then when you say, do the anatta practice, and you say, not mine, it, it can have two levels of meaning at least. The first is, this doesn't belong to me, because if, as I said, the Buddha said about the body, if it belongs to me, then I would be able to not make it die or not make it get ill if I wanted to. That would be the obvious choice, but I can't. I don't have that control. But there's a, there's a more full sense of saying not mine, which is, there's no entity that all this belongs to. I cannot find an entity that it belongs to. Um, so in a way then you start marrying. There's no entity because I've seen the only entity that exists is a constructed, fabricated one, a kind of illusory one. 
Do you understand? So I might have a sense of mine, but where's the my that it belongs to? Um, <clears throat> this actually ties in with the conceptual stuff, which I'm not going to get into now, but there's very, very powerful conceptual practices, uh, logical practices, um, uh, mostly with, with the Geluk tradition in, of Tibetan Buddhism, where they actually say it's impossible for there to be anything uh, that owns any of this. You say, what could the self be? And you go through everything that it possibly could be. Could it be the body? As I said, if I chop my leg off, do I feel like I'm only three quarters Rob now? Or I chop both legs off, I have to have amputations. Then I'm only half Rob? Amputees don't feel like that. Um, So you go through all the aggregates, maybe consciousness, and, and there's ways of logically deconstructing that it's impossible for there to be any core entity that owns any of this. So that those kind of conceptual practices end up feeding into the anatta and really turbocharging it. I just say before I go, I, I had this experience when I was doing metta where I sort of brought the anatta into the metta practice. Yeah, yeah. And I sat down and I just realized that even the urge to do the metta yeah. wasn't coming from me. And to sit down and just feel that kind of bubbling yeah, up yeah, and beautiful. arising. Yes. Just, How was it? Incredible. Yeah. Really yeah. incredible. Fantastic. To see that even this, this kindness, the, the yeah. world's kindness, is just arising and yeah. it's just coming Absolutely beautiful. And how did it affect the meta? Uh, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very good, very good. So, again, um, meta leads to less sense of self. As we said, it's a, de- it's a, it's a non-building practice. And then, with a lot of these practices, and a few years ago we did a different kind of retreat, and um, uh, that would be one of the offered practices, that you can actually learn to in the space of disidentification, to do the meta from that space, and yeah. it, it turbocharges the meta. Yeah. So, yeah, beautiful, wonderful. Yeah. Um. Could I just clarify? Yeah, is it still on the awareness thing? Yeah. yeah okay. Well, I'm just wondering if this is linked in, I, well, I think it is, but I can't quite see how, like the experience, I was walking down the lane and doing not me, not mine, and then suddenly, the trees <laughs> were just really well. I, to say I was looking at trees is not really the experience. It's just that there was green and it was beautiful and it was just like I suppose I didn't ask myself the question, but I didn't really have a sense of myself looking at the tree. Yeah, yeah. It was just yeah. But it sounds like something, something was there. Okay, so it sounds like something in the self sense began to not be so strong, but also something in the object sense began to be not so strong, right? I guess so. wasn't so much treeness about the trees, right? I guess so. Or, yeah? Well, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Well, it was more, I suppose, that the, it was very alive, the colours mm-hmm. and the light mm-hmm. was very bright. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. And what about the individuality of trees and, and uh, the sense of them? Yeah, they were probably still... Oh, I think I saw them as trees, but not separate trees. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you know, all kinds of things can happen um, a- as we do these practices. Um, so there was one question answered. We talked about the emptiness of phenomena a little bit, and I was not wanting to go into it too much for this retreat. But um, <clears throat> if when I start or when I don't build so much of the self, I'm also not building so much of phenomena as well. <clears throat> so and that, that goes, it can't help but that goes together. Um, however, there, there's, you know, just like, and I'm sure anyone who's sort of just uh, 
done a bit of mindfulness practice begins to notice after a while it's like everything gets brighter and more radiant and more kind of immediate so that's with, with the deepening of mindfulness that's what we get it's almost like a sharpening of perception and a brightening of a radiancy once you start letting go more though it's like the opposite begins to happen um, so <coughs> as, as you begin practice everything gets more bright grass looks greener sky looks bluer uh, everything more and more shiny but then then it starts actually getting more and more faded more and more dissolved more and more blurred the, the individual thingness of things begins not all day long just in the moments of deep letting go because not only are we <coughs> constructing the self sense um, we're also constructing the thing sense the perception so it's perception uh, the world and the self get constructed together as, as a perceptual reality um, so in very deep movements of letting go, actually the whole show begins to fade. The whole show begins to fade, begins to dissolve. And the whole of our experiential reality begins to kind of maybe merge, blur, fade, dissolve, etc. And that has different degrees and stages to it. Um, <coughs> does that? Yeah. Um, there's lots of ways that can happen. Lo- lots of ways that can happen. Sometimes, um, you know, you just get a real sense of freedom because what you're noticing more is is less self-sense and less, and then the self just feels unburdened. You know, just, oh, you know, really, really lovely. Um, sometimes different parts of that non-building of the world become more prominent. So sometimes it might be a the sense of things, the body, uh, the sense of uh, visual perception or hearing or, or something actually dissolves. Sometimes it's more like, sometimes, and no one's mentioned this at all, but sometimes time stops or, or it's like the sense of time. Um, and one also realizes time too is a fabricated reality and it doesn't have the independent reality. So it can, many, many different things are possible. But that's off off the syllabus, so to speak. It's just yeah, time is... <coughs> Time actually goes faster than it should, and that sounds silly, but I've had an experience where it did. That means I'm self-constructing more. Um, I'm not sure, <laughs> actually. No, it's not so much that... Um, no, I'm not sure about that. Um I think more one just realizes the relativity of time, that time is a construct. So it's not that it will always go slower or, f- or faster. Okay. It's ju- there's, there's ways of feeling and seeing through to time just not feeling that real. Okay. And sometimes it feels like it stops, sometimes it feels like... It just feels like all the past and all the future are here in a way that is hard to explain. But, um, but no, I wouldn't necessarily say that. But anyway, this is off the syllabus. I'm just drawing out something. Yeah. <laughs> don't, so don't... What's that? Because I was getting stuck with that. I was feeling like I was ah. hearing like birds in it. And then it was just like, this is dull. What's dull? Well, just the, just the, uh, what was a beautiful sound previously. Uh-huh. was like, and then I just, I didn't want to, be, you know, yeah. I didn't want to go there. Yeah. So I was like shutting down. Okay. Um, yeah. Very good. Yeah. Thank you, Catherine. That's really important. So, huh. <coughs> you know, it's, it's, um, like I said, if we talk about the beginning years, really, of practice, years, they're really about reconnecting to things and discovering this intimacy with things and discovering the aliveness and, and the beauty of things, the beauty of this moment, the preciousness of this moment, etc. And that's that's hugely important, you know, to have that respect and that love for their uniqueness and, and all of that. Um, 
but to me it would be a problem if if practice stopped there if that was that to me that's not the end point of practice at all um, because that says very little about emptiness it says very little about this radical nature of reality so-called reality is very very important can be very healing and and um, but in time hopefully we we see that uh, things are constructed now it's an acquired taste so it's and it's not saying that we're going to live all the time in this kind of you know <laughs> nothing appears you can't you, you know you couldn't go shopping or go to the toilet like if nothing appears um, <laughs> <coughs> And it's important to keep the economy going. Um, <laughs> I won't talk about shopping. <laughs> <laughs> um, sometimes, when things, even sometimes for people, when the self sense begins to open out, um, a person can feel like they're losing what is most precious. And either that they're losing their identity, and it's like, well, what about me? And I've done all this work to get me back. Or a person can feel like, you know, what, what happens when the... Um, it's not that the emotions are going flat, it's that they're getting more subtle. So in the emotional range, you know, you might have a lot of work over years, you know, if you're like me, years and years, catharsis and healing and tears and beautiful process of reconnecting with who I am and my journey and, and the healing of that and, and connect, reconnecting with you know, uh, my emotions and the capacity to have strong emotions and really... And then it's like there's a whole other side of it as well in addition, not instead of, but in addition which is who, who am I when all that goes quiet? Do I, do I, who am I when the, the, the emotions get very subtle? And, and I couldn't really say there's, it's like what's really there is just subtle love or subtle equanimity or just the absence of emotionality. I mean, is that okay? And there's a real beauty in that as much as there is um, a beauty in having intense and strong emotions. Um, there's different kinds of heartfulness, you know, but, but for often people it's, it's an acquired taste and there may well be some identity clinging there. It's like, I, I don't know who I am if I'm not in my emotional process all the time. Um, I actually one sees it goes and comes and goes and comes, and it's like we, we get to know the best of, or the beauty of both. Um, sometimes a person fears the emotionality going quiet because they think, well, if it goes quiet, I must be in denial, because what's real is the painful and the tears. And, and that's very, very common in our culture, meditation culture, psychotherapeutic culture, that we believe that what's more real is the painful stuff. And unless that's happening, well, I must be out of touch with something. Um, but so there's, there's a real... It, you know, it's, it's a big, tall order for the long-term practice. It's like, can I, am I willing to feel... Um, to feel my difficult emotions, see their reality, work with them, not afraid to work with them, not afraid to have, you know, big feelings going through the heart. And am I willing and do I have the courage to let them go and see their emptiness as well? And then one can do both. And that's a, that's a, um, it takes a lot of courage, a lot of, you know, maturity in practice, and a lot of, and it brings a lot of freedom. And, you know, the truth is sometimes people are not ready for that. They, they still need to... to and, and that's fine. Um, sometimes people only want to do the emptiness thing and not really feel a lot of feeling. So it's like, where, where's my balance here? Where's my, where have I been? Where have I been the last 20 years? Where have I been leaning? And then, and then you know, 
Um, and then in terms also, as you said, of a sense of beauty. It's like, here's the bird song, And it's, you know, it's so important. We live on this miraculous planet with birds that make, you know, extraordinary... It's, it's unbelievable. And, and like to know that beauty and, and to let the heart resonate with that beauty is so precious. And there's times when it's like we, we go beyond that. There's, there's something... I was going to say deeper, but that's maybe not even the right word. It's, it's just... Um, what's the beauty that's there when all that other stuff goes quiet? And there is a beauty there, and there is a freedom there. And it's not that we're only doing that. It's like we're going back and forth. And it, uh, is a, there's a fullness there, and a fullness of healing as well. In other words, healing might have... It might not just be about feeling the difficult stuff. So I'm talking around what you're saying, but does it make sense? So how does that, how does that sit? You don't know if something's touching you. Yeah. Do you want to say, or are you rather not? Okay. Okay. Does it sound okay, or does it sound not okay? What I'm saying. It sounds quite scary. Yeah. Do you know what? What if you had to put your finger on what? What's scary there? Would what would you? Do you know? No. It's okay. Flatness. Yeah. Yeah. It's not flatness. Okay. That's really important. That's what I'm trying to say. So. <coughs> We, um, this is really important because, and going right back to the beginning of the retreat, I think, I think we said, I can't remember. Um, this word emptiness is interesting because it goes very, we just think the word or hear the word and it's very close. I feel empty, meaning I feel barren, flat, bereft, bored. Duh. You know? <laughs> um, that's not at all where this is going. It's not at all where this is going. It's going the opposite. There's a, there's a real beauty and heartfulness and fullness of heart that comes out of and love that comes out of going into emptiness at times in practice going back to the surfboard analogy at times for some people in fact for everyone practicing deeply it will just as Jane was saying it went into you know the opposite of flatness like too much um, it can also go the other way that it's just things seem like it's getting a bit disconnected or flat and that's just an indication that something's off balance. That's all. Um, there's probably a little bit of aversion crept in and disconnection. That's, that's what's causing the flatness, not the emptiness. A hidden aversion causes flatness. Emptiness does not cause flatness. Um, sometimes, I think Catherine was saying, once, sometimes for some people, the sense of emptying out and going into big spaces triggers a sort of nihilistic fear or fear of abandonment or that kind of thing. Sometimes that's the case. Um, <clears throat> but really what happens gradually over time is is it's just like our eyes getting used to the dark in a darkened room. You walk into a room, it looks like, well, it's just completely empty here, but then you hang out for a little bit and you start to see, oh, oh, there's some chairs here and there's some, oh, there's some people here. And, and actually it's full of beauty, love, compassion, peace, mystery, uh, wonder, all that stuff freedom. Um, at first, or, or rather sometimes, we may not see it in the space. It's just a matter of, like I said, lots of meta in the mix, and just our eyes getting used to the dark, and it, and it comes. Sense of flatness, disconnection is coming out of aversion, etc. Of different, f- subtle, probably subtle forms of aversion that have crept in. Um, Does that sound okay? Yeah. Um, 
it's also a matter of where where our attention goes. You know, sometimes we don't, like I said, in the dark, we don't notice what's there. <coughs> and it might be, um, I think, was it Nina that asked this a while ago about fear? It's like we get sucked into a sense of <coughs> flatness or <coughs> fear or whatever. Very understandable. But maybe at the same time in the mix is a sense of freedom or a sense of beauty that we haven't noticed. And just hanging out a little bit and actually beginning to notice the beauty or the love in the space or the warmth or the holding or the peace or the the mystery there. And it's like then the mind begins to um, what could we say, allow that to fill the space a bit more. Yeah, It's, it's just a matter of getting used to it. But I absolutely promise you that going into emptiness is not going into disconnection or flatness or disappointment in, in, in any way it may be that momentarily and and for some people you know it's, it, it may be some, somewhat of an issue that they need to work with but most of the time, no it's, it's going into a depth of beauty and wonder it's, it's, it's really almost beyond what we can put into words Yes, it is a much stronger practice. Why well, I left it to last. It's a harder practice, it's more subtle, it's much stronger as well. <coughs> more matter in the mix. More matter in the mix. Um, <coughs> and and it is an acquired taste. Um, if you feel that disconnection, really know that something's in that moment just a little bit off balance. That's all. That's all that's happening. And then it's a question of, okay, what's off balance? Has aversion crept in? Do I need to do more meta? Am I am I seeing it, as Catherine was saying, am I just shooting everything down because I'm trying to get rid of everything? By there's that, you know, this hidden aversion. Um, that That's the stuff to check out in the moment rather than project into the future and, you know, think... This is this is the wrong road, etc. Um, it's more like in the moment something's just a little bit out of balance. I wonder what it is. Maybe just try rejigging things a little bit. Yeah. Um, and it's also the case that you know you don't want to be doing. I mean, something like not me, not mine. It's like you wouldn't be doing that all day long. You know, no one. It's too intense. You you you'd want to be you know a lot of meta in the mix and kind of going back and forth between more cultivating practices and, and more emptiness practices. Yeah. Okay. <coughs> um. Okay. Did we have a bit of quiet for a minute or something? Does that, does that feel okay?
So how are you guys doing? Are you okay? Yeah? Um, did we go on a little bit, or...? Yeah? Okay. There's one here that's actually... As I said, we won't unfortunately get to all of them, but they, I think they can wait. Um, there's one here that feels quite important to me. It's, can you explain more about healthy clinging? Um, <clears throat> yeah, so obviously, partly with the practice that we've been doing, but partly in the Dharma as well, clinging gets a bad press. Um, but... It, it has a really important function... You know, um, a healthy parent clings to their child's well-being, clings to caring, and clings to wanting to be a healthy parent, and that's completely appropriate. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's actually needed. Um, in the beginning stages of practice, you know, well, not beginning, until the really, really a, a long way, maybe all of it. You know, it's like, we, we need to cling to caring about how we are ethically, for, for example. And sometimes people will say, oh, you know, that's just clinging if you decide to uh, follow the five precepts or whatever. But actually it's really important. It's really important. Um... Catherine at one point spoke about, uh, I forgot the word she used, but it's like the fire in practice, you know, what gets you, what inspires you, what puts you on the cushion. And in a way, it's like we need to really cling to that, you know, cling to our deepest desire. The pro- part of the problem with clinging is that, is that it gets, um, what's the word, it gets dispersed and... Uh, we end up clinging to stuff that we don't really even really care about. What someone thinks of us, or getting this or that, or or something like that. It's like petty stuff. It goes into petty stuff. Or just, I want to have this meal taste really nice, or it's important that this or that. or um, And it's like all this... Because in a way, from another perspective, clinging is, is our life energy. It's our life force. It's what gives us life. It manifests all kinds of things. And it's like, am I going to squander that? Am I going to waste it and chase rubbish? Chase stuff that doesn't open the being and doesn't feed me? Or or am I going to actually let that clinging, let that life force, if you like, really um, move deeply in the being and move us deeply? Do, do you understand what I mean by this? Um, so that takes a lot of work. It takes, a, especially again in our culture, it takes an enormous amount of work because you have all these messages saying, "Cling to this, cling to that, cling to that." You don't look good enough. You're not this and da 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 da. da. You don't have enough of this. And so there's all this clinging getting squandered, uh, and and we, we end up feeling not enough energy, not enough passion. All the passion goes in the wrong places, in places that don't actually feed the being. Well, what is it to actually let that passion really? gather in a sense of this is what I care most deeply about, this is what I yearn for most deeply and, and, and the being gathers itself around that and that becomes a very powerful force and sometimes even things like um, even petty 
desires and angers are actually masking something much deeper. They are just, um, I don't know, irritated at this feeling I have, or irritated at this person, and actually trace... I can't go into all this, and that's too complex, but it's actually underneath it, it's touching a much deeper movement of the being that we actually need to trust. You know, that our, in other words, in Buddhism, we always talk about desire, clinging, being one of what's called the kileshas, which means impurities or uh, defilements. But actually, it may be that a good proportion of time, they, they hold something very precious for us. It's just that we've got hold of them the wrong way. We think, I need to have that. I need to have that uh, pretty thing, or that, or that person, or I need to get rid of this. And actually it's staying at a, a surface level of something. Does this make, make sense? Um, right, that's a whole other subject, I just wanted to mention that. Um, so it's like trusting, clink, trusting our desires, but not our first look at them. Because they tend to get hooked into something and c- try to convince us that we need this something, that's what it's about. When actually there may be something really, um, really powerfully deep and purifying and opening in, in that movement. Um, you know, on another level as well, it's like we cling to the meta practice. It's like, and that's really, that's really healthy. You know, it's really, really important to do that. If I just say don't cling, um, my mind goes, one's mind just will follow its habitual tendencies. And generally speaking, that ends up creating trouble. The mind creates trouble for itself. right? So clinging is saying, if I cling, for instance, to the meta practice, I keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back. I'm actually clinging. That's a movement of clinging. But it's helpful because it's like preventing uh, troublemaking. Trying to do like not me, not mine, or, or just just allowing. I mean, they just kept coming back. Uh-huh. I mean, it might work momentarily to some mm-hmm. extent. It just kept coming back, mm. and it would be driving me insane. Mm. So I thought I, I just decided to have a different look at it Good. and go somewhere else to do it, um, and. It was like I found by looking hard at, at the aversive reactions, there were several, um, that they were messengers. Yeah, good. They were messengers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, they were pain messengers. Pain messengers, yeah. Yeah. And, but what they were, they were, they were painful mm-hmm. because I, it's the only way I pay attention to them. Um, and they, and they were pointing at thought proliferation. So I would find I would have an instant reaction, tweak, tweak, so to speak, um, when I I realised <coughs> that I'd gone off on one of my obsessions. Right? It's like, oh, back yeah. again, yeah. and pain would go away. Then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then I would drift off again, mm. and it would come back. Mm-hmm. And and uh, so. There were others as well, yeah. but I found that really yeah. interesting. As if it's just energy, yeah. and and you know, 
yeah. get it to look at it as a useful energy mm -hmm, mm -hmm. rather than a negative yep. energy. Really yeah, yeah, good. Um, yes. Yeah, great. Yeah. Um, I mean, when when there's clinging, clinging at a thought, it, there will there will there is some pain with that because there's contraction, and, and the pain itself is good. It's telling you something. It's, it's waking something up. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a little cautious about getting into this too much because it feels like a whole big stepping out of the sort of Buddhist paradigm in a way. Um, some some of it, but sometimes with with clinging and desire and, and anger, it's like it's almost like asking oneself at a very deep level, what what, what what's really being wanted here. And not and not falling for the immediate answer. What's really being wanted? Um, it's like a healthy dissatisfaction. Yes. Rather than unsatisfactoriness. Yes. Yes. And and it's exactly and it's leading us. It's like, what do I really want? What 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 do I really want? And and there's something in that when that what do I really meaning the deep current in the being when I'm connected with that rather than closing the being down, it actually tends to open it up. Um, yeah. um, but in strict Dharma terms, I mean, one of my teachers had this analogy, you know, it's like, uh, I think it's very skillful, it's like, um, if you say that we're, in, we're wanting to become awakened and, and enlightened, and you say, well, that's maybe like climbing a ladder, and you say, actually, it's very hard to climb a ladder without um, letting go of the step that you were on before. So there's letting go involved. But similarly, if you try climbing a ladder without holding on, without clinging to the, the step above, so it's like there's, there's actually a, um, what's, what's the word, a progressive process of clinging, letting go, clinging, letting go, to more and more subtle things. So when we first start practice, you know, it's like, I don't know, you could get... Uh, clinging to all kinds of things that actually later on you see they're not so important. Um, well, one, one thing, for instance, you could, you could um, very normal, let's say you do metta and it starts to feel, you know, maybe you're on doing a lot of retreats and a lot of practice and you start to get really nice feelings, nice feelings in the body and, and you cling to them. Now, traditional, well, most teachings you'll hear nowadays say, oh, don't cling, you'll get attached, it's terrible, you know, it's the end of the world and blah, 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 blah. Um, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. Maybe you start to have nice feelings and cling to them, develop them, cultivate them. And then after a while, those nice feelings, uh, actually, they get quieter and they get replaced by even nicer feelings. Is <laughs> actually what happens. And then you say, I don't need to cling to those first ones. You're letting go. And then the second stage of nicer feelings, you're there for a while, this is fantastic, cling, 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 <laughs> develop, 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 develop. And after a while, they start um, maturing into something even nicer, more subtle, but nicer. And you say, I don't need that anymore. And so it goes. And that movement, rather than, uh, it was a kind of hedonistic movement, but rather than leading to um, a trap, it actually is a movement towards liberation, because it's getting more and more subtle, and if the intelligence is there, one's actually understanding as well all this dependent arising that's involved. But, um, I don't know who asked this, but does that give an answer? Who was it? Wasn't me, but it sounds like a good answer. Maybe it was Kate. 
Was that? Yeah. It, maybe it was Kate. Yeah, yeah, yes. It's all, it's all of that. It's all of that. Um, so, for instance, like you say, you know, when I asked you, was it last question, last period? It's like, okay, so you've been doing these practices. What do you notice? What do you notice? And people say, oh, I notice this, I notice that, I notice that, I notice the body dissolves, I notice blah blah blah. blah. I notice there's less self sense. Okay, now it's quite possible, quite, quite possible, I know from doing a lot of teaching, that person can have all those kind of experiences and not ask any questions at all about what they mean. And very easily one just goes in and out of all these quite remarkable experiences. And very easily what happens, it becomes about having the experiences and about clinging to certain experiences. And I like it when the body dissolves. I like it when I feel more spacious. Um, and then, oh no, I'm, I'm back into kind of humdrum reality again. And it just, I'm trying to get there. And then maybe you get more and more remarkable experiences. But there isn't this questioning of what it means. So we're talking about, can I actually see it a certain way? I see, when I do this, there's the construction of self, which means that self is constructed. So there's an intelligent kind of... Uh, t- I'm taking conclusions out there, and I repeat those conclusions until I know in my heart that the self is constructed. And if we follow Julia's question, the world too is constructed. But I, I it, it's quite interesting because... Um, I, d- I don't know how much people, most people would do that without the, the stimulus of kind of uh, someone saying, hey, you know, remember to do that, look this way, ask it, what, what does it mean? And, and, and actually saying, most people wouldn't, um, which is a shame, but, but that's why we have the teachings and why we, <laughs> you know. Uh, so it's partly from the outside, it's partly some people just tend to think that way more. Um, partly, you know, someone planted a seed ages ago from what you hear, and years later it comes up, you know, all, all of that stuff. Um, but without without that, all, all that's happening in practice is we're going in and out of experiences, and either we just kind of shrug and say, whatever, or we get attached to experiences, or uh, we say, well... I don't know, or we make up a certain, um, we'll tend to reify things, uh, you know, come up with uh, an explanation that doesn't quite fit, you know, make make that much sense. So when I say intelligent, that's what I mean. It's like this this real understanding, what is going on here? Something is going on, it's not random. What the reifying? Is that so wrong? Can, can it not be a step in the understanding? It's absolutely a step in the understanding. Yeah, I think it's important. Sam asked a question a, a while ago about is is um, is love and consciousness the same thing? Which you know, oftentimes this space can open up. You know, deep in deep practice, a space opens up. It's filled with love. It's filled with, or it's like consciousness with a big C. It's cosmic consciousness, and it's really, really striking, beautiful experience that one can you know develop a lot and, and go into. And I would say. Uh, most people, in fact, need to reify it, interestingly. And it's good, and they fall in love with it, and it's beautiful, and it really does its work on the heart. And as you say, it's a stepping stone. At a certain point, hopefully one's ready to let go of it. Because there's this... um, Yeah, this holy dissatisfaction, this restless striving that won't just put up with something that's not the complete ultimate truth. Um, But yeah, stepping stone.
definitely. Does that mean it's alright to fall in love with emptiness? I think so, <laughs> yes. I think it's really important to fall in love with love, to fall in love with awareness, to fall in love with mindfulness, to fall in love with God, to fall in love with uh, emptiness, to fall in love with all this stuff. But that's just my personality. I tend to fall in love a lot. <laughs> 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 um, uh, for pe- people are different, you know, but, but there's something about staying somewhere and really kind of uh, letting that whole sense really work its magic on the being and not stopping there, not building your house there finally. Um, so, so I've yeah. noticed I've started to characterise emptiness, like give it a, a like it has certain feelings uh-huh. and that I could also carry on disidentifying from those and it would get more subtle but yes. then it's like well perhaps I should get what? more in touch well, when with... You, when you say characterise how do you mean like? Well like um, oh deep and dark and spacious. Ah or, yeah okay. Yeah. Whatever, you know, full or whatever. Yes, yes. And to really soak those feelings up rather than going, oh, well, that's actually empty and that's actually empty and that's actually empty. Yeah, yeah. Very good. I would would really let yourself do that. So what you're really doing then is you're um, letting yourself dwell and linger in, in states of relative emptiness mm. which is great um, and you know that as we're saying with Catherine it's like the very darkness what might have been scary at one point or feel like gosh there's nothing here or where's all the beauty gone it actually starts becoming so pregnant with mystery and beauty and, and one does fall in love with it mm. um, or can <coughs> um, Sometimes it's light as well. Yes, absolutely. Sometimes it's light. It doesn't have to be dark. Mm. Um, Mostly at the deep end of things, it will tend towards darkness, but Mm. but it can be light too. Um, But yeah, uh, getting used to that place and calling it whatever you want, you know. Um, But it it does something there. Mm. And then there's another kind of gear that you're in, which is just letting go of everything. because I'm very much in the cage. Right? Yeah, well, I mean, we talked. <laughs> we talked about this the other day, Hannah. And it's like it might be too too fast. I remember this uh, teacher that talked about the ladder, because I, I I have that tendency too. It's like just just you know go 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 burrow burrow. What's what's the ultimate kind of thing? And and he, he said get attached, Rob, get yeah. attached. And he he looked at me. He said get attached, and I was like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 um, so, you know, and it's like no one had ever said that to me before, and it was so skillful. It's so skillful, um, and you know those things. I can look back on. It's like I'm not attached to that. Like that stuff comes and goes. It's just, it's just, it becomes part of one's life. It's not a big deal. And actually, that when you say that, I realise there's a fear of the attachment. Yeah, so exactly. Yes, um, and we've been indoctrinated a little bit mm. so all attachment is bad all clinging is bad especially and we learn it as well of oh, course been, you know, that that's true too <laughs> yes that, that's definitely true um, yeah yeah, yeah. Do, um, is that okay for the healthy clinging question there's quite a lot about that but, um Can I check something? Yes, please. I have been understanding, I think, my understanding that emptiness is not a state. Exactly, yes. That I can hang out in. Yeah. But that pain's empty, everything. You know, that things are empty. Yes, good, good. And so when Hannah talked like that, I started thinking, 
sort of saying, well, you'll see yourself, well, that's empty. Yeah. That's also empty. Yeah. You look at the stream, you think, well, five minutes ago this water wasn't here, so it's a different stream. Yeah, good. Yeah, minutes. very good. Yes. So that's... That's great. That's okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. They're both okay. So the other yeah. thing is okay. It's like Hannah's meditating and she, and it goes quite deep and then she finds everything empties out. There's not much self there. There's not much else happening. It's just a big black space. And that's okay just to hang out there. Lovely. What's that? <laughs> and it feels lovely. And it feels lovely, yeah. And it's really, really you know, important to hang out there. And then in relationship to that, she could be in two modes. One is just hang out, enjoy, soak it up, let it do its work. The other mode is this is empty too, this is empty too, you kind of push on, you burrow further. Um, but what you're talking about, Ruth, that's great, absolutely great. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Because ultimately it's not about the experience, it's about, it's about seeing that things are empty, seeing that anything... En- uh, any imprisonment I feel, whether gross or subtle, comes from believing something is solid and real. And that's what it's about, not about the experience. So I'm just, I'm just, when I'm saying, when you're saying empty, empty, or not me, not mine, whatever, you're just um, freeing a prison, freeing a prison, freeing a prison. Not me, not mine doesn't work very well for me. It okay. works with my clothes, or if I think of my car, or yeah. home, like that. But yeah. sort of trees, that no, I, I, what works for me is empty. Yeah, okay, good, good. Yeah. That, that's the word, or no self, but mostly empty works for me good. very well. Good, fine, yeah. yeah. Um, <coughs> as I said, different people will relate better to different practices here, and it's important just to go with what works for you, yeah. You guys seem a little tired. Should, should we stop there? Or, or anything burning? I'm happy either way, so it's up to, it's up to you guys. the other ones. Yeah, because my brain's trying to kind of yeah. hold it somehow. How do you mean when you say hold it? What does it mean? It, um, it's like things just slip or just keep slipping away and then I kind of... Um, what What's slipping away? Understanding or trying to remember what I'm doing. Okay. Um, it might be and this goes for everyone now, that it, if you're feeling like one of these is working better than the others of the three, that's it. That's it. That's your practice. Go for it. If you're feeling like they all three work equally, fine, do them all three. If you feel like two, just do two. But I, I would, it sounds like just simplifying by choosing one, which, remember, also could be the bare contact. That also counts. So we've actually done four, you could say, four kinds of emptiness practices so far. Um... And, you know, there's gazillions more. I mean, so just for this retreat, these are the four principal ones. So choose one of those, 
and the metta, just to simplify and choose the one that works the best for you. That, that kind of you feel like wh- when you're in the groove with it, you can feel it. It you can feel some some release happening. That's the indicator that a practice is working: release, relief, freedom, spaciousness, peace, joy, even. That that shows us that we're on the right track. So just choose one and simplify and do a lot more meta. Even if you do like three quarters meta, a quarter em- emptiness, you know, get back in the in the groove with the meta as well. And then choose the simplest one. Does that or or is there more to kind of disentangle there or Okay, yeah, yeah. Choose the path of least resistance. Not the path that I should, I should be able, you know, the, the path that works for you, which is different than someone else. That's fine, no problem. Can we offer a reflection on that? Yeah, please. It's <coughs> just the way that um, you said holding the various things. Yeah. And I think that my reflection is that the practices are breaking up our ways of holding the world. Yeah. And so we have to keep asking ourselves. Of, to find new ways to hold that uh-huh. and that might open you up to a different experience of yourself uh-huh. can you give an example or, or? Um, well I found I've also had a, lo- a similar thing to uh, she was saying and I feel like when I ask myself to hold that in a new way I feel a lot more heart energy mm-hmm. coming in yeah good good yeah, because really the mind can't hold, can't hold it. You're pulling it apart by the practices. Yeah. So it just it crumbles and yeah. it can't hold it anymore because it's used to doing it in a particular way. You've constructed yeah. this world you're in, uh-huh. and now you can't do it anymore. Yeah. So you need a new way of finding that. Yeah. That yeah. Relationship. yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's really important. There's different kinds of holding. Um, so when I was beginning, do you feel like a kind of conceptual holding, or is it? Yeah. So, so that's one. It's like just getting one's head around. What am I doing here? Remembering what I'm doing, what the point is, and everything. And it sounds like what Stu's talking about is also a kind of um, being holding or emotional holding, a bit of what's going on as, as well. Would, would would you say or? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. so. The heart's getting more involved, you said. So. Yeah, I mean, that's just my experience. Yeah, no, it that's great. Different for somebody else. It, it probably will be, but but I think what you're saying is really important. Um, so sometimes, it's, so first first thing is there's different kinds of holding, and, and they're all important. There's a sense of knowing what one's doing and it making sense and remembering that, and there's a kind of conceptual holding of what's going on. Um, then, um, and we touched on this today, and I think Catherine, one one of her talks as well, it's like, so we're letting go a lot of the usual ways of holding and holding together reality and holding together the self. And it's actually important that we feel safe in that, that that letting go of that holding, that we actually feel safe. Now, sometimes um, that's just not an issue in a moment for a person. It's just one just lets go, it all comes, there's a lot of space, and just somehow in that space it all feels held. You don't need to do anything extra. Other times, uh, just as you said, it's like asking, well, well, how can this be held now? And it invites more of a heart quality in to hold it. Other times it's doing more meta. Other times it's looking for the, as we're saying with Catherine, there's a sense in the space itself of, of, of 
energies that are holding what's going on. Um, but yeah, that's really important. Yeah, thank you. Okay, that's probably enough talking, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so what we didn't get to today, I'm very happy to revisit, and I'll stick them back in the in the um, bowl, um, if that's okay. Does that is that all right? Um, if it was a um, if it was a burning one, leave me another note, and I'll try and respond by note. Um, but they're pretty interesting questions, so it might also be just helpful for everyone to hear. This isn't a question about this; it's a question about. Um, when will the next Q and A be? Because the reason I ask is, is this question of choosing practices. Yeah. And for me, it seems like there are questions or dilemmas in that choice, and I'm wondering whether we'll have a chance to ask those questions, um, or whether that would be best done for our note. Who else is feeling in the same boat? Unsure. Yeah. Well, who's absolutely fed up of question answer session now? <laughs> Because I'm happy to stay and answer that question, but if you want to leave, I mean, it's practically lunchtime anyway, you, you're welcome to leave. So I will stay and just address that question for anyone who wants, and everyone else can just go to lunch. If that feels... Is that okay, solution? Yeah? Yeah, it's a lot of talking, that's fine. You don't have to. So just if it feels relevant, you, you're welcome to stay. <coughs> So, um, (laughs) Julia, yeah, can you say a bit more? Um, Well, I'm in the not me, not mine, so that's what's most vivid, and Mm -hmm. I'm getting a lot from it, so I could just carry on with that. Mm -hmm. But it has a different flavour to the other practices, Mm. and I was getting stuff out of that too. Yeah. But I I think I might get, I'm not sure, I think I might get confused if I try combinations. I might be doing not me, not mine, but I'll see the stream move and I think, oh, I should do impermanence now. And then okay. I'll be thinking, well, wh- what's the best way? So uh, I'm wondering whether sticking with one practice will reveal everything in time anyway, uh-huh. or whether it's uh-huh. good to, maybe even after this retreat, spend time doing each of the three yeah. separately. Yeah. Um, li- like everything, I don't know that there's a right answer to that. You know, There's a way with a lot of practice that they, it's almost like it's like a triangle with with three points and it's like each corner gives a view of the other two corners so to speak so it's like from the point like we've said a little bit from the point of view of impermanence you get a sense of why you would relax the relationship with things hey because things are changing so there's no point clinging and and you get a sense from impermanence that the self i can't find this solid permanence feeling self you know, so it's like impermanence gives a, gives a vantage point in the other two, um, and it's kind of the truth e- each way. You know, from each each corner. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm very aware of this word "should" in practice. You know, I see the stream, and I should be doing I, almost like whenever you hear that word, it's it's an indicator that you shouldn't. <laughs> it's like it's coming from the wrong place. Um, if it's like you see the stream and then what just leaps out at your at your consciousness is impermanence and then that mm-hmm. seems to feel like alive and helpful in that moment, go for it. You know. That's interesting because I think what leaps 
that does come, and, but what I don't spot is what I'm saying to myself is I shouldn't do impairments because I should stick to one yeah, and okay. then I'll get called. Yeah, there. yeah. M- maybe be, you know, like I don't, I don't know that it's so rigid. Be, be more, uh, you could be more fluid with it. Yeah. I, I think the important thing for this retreat is to experiment. So you could have a day where you're more just really, you're really trying to come back to one practice, say the not me, not mine, if that feels the most helpful, whatever. Um, and what is it to just let see these impulses to go into another mode, but just let them go? Mm. Um, other other days you try just kind of letting it letting it skate around a little bit, but you know three characteristics is what I'm doing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, other times there's a sense of you kind of see them all at once, mm. or two of them at once. It's like you see them in the same moment, and that's fine, and that will happen the more it matures anyway. So kind of okay. don't worry about it too much. Not quite. Thank you for that. They're not the same. So that's important. Um, if I see impermanence, um, oftentimes when you hear, sometimes when you hear teachings about emptiness, it, it sounds like they might as well just use the word impermanence. You might as well. Um, so there's a degree to which the teachings of impermanence point to the emptiness of something. But it's only partial. It's not getting. It's not plumbing the depths of it. Um, so, for instance, the impermanence doesn't really. If I just see things as impermanence, it doesn't fully tell me how how the self is constructed, how the self is constructed, or the fullness of that construction. Um, it maybe gives me a little clue. I'm joining the dots, but there's more to it than that. So, the word, the teachings of emptiness have a lot more fullness and breadth and depth to them than just the concept of impermanence. But if you keep going with impermanence, it will begin opening things up, kind of cracking, cracking things in a way that you can then um, m- move on. If that makes sense. Tricky for you, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. it feels like tricky because of what you said like before, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was getting more much pleasanter experience yeah. with, with the other two practices, yeah. which I yeah. liked as well. Yeah. But, and I'm feeling a tendency to stick with this because it's tricky and it seems to be getting at something that the others weren't getting at. Getting at what? Well, well, these things like the aversion yeah. keep coming in. I, I wouldn't necessarily, no. Um, often, that's, oftentimes people... I mean, it's, of course, sometimes in practice a sense of you need to go where the difficulty is, but at the moment, you know, the, mo- the more you do, say, the relaxing relationship, the more the, as I said, when I introduced the anatta practice, the more I let go, let go, let go, the more not me, not mine just reveals itself without me trying to do it, and then it won't be coming out of a disconnection. And then the more you do that, then it will be easy, you'll, get, you'll be getting a taste of connected, not me, not mine, rather than disconnected and, and aversive. And, and then that becomes, you'll be able to just kind of eventually just uh, repeat that deliberately. So I would stick with where it feels good, where it feels like it's got some, some freeing, in, in a warm, connected way, um, and and out of that will come, yeah. No hurry, no hurry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Is it lunchtime? So we have one moment of silence before we end. <clears throat> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org/donate.